I would like to put a challenge on your faith. Some believe they have a big, strong faith. Well, I challenge it right now to prove if you really love Jesus. See, some people love Jesus only when the truth suits them. But when the truth don't suit them, they shut it off. I've heard, I heard one preacher even say it to me personally. Heard a message that they didn't like. Oh, we don't have to receive this. But the message was straight from the Word of God. So, here's the challenge. Do you love Jesus enough to open your Bible, study these scriptures in their entirety for what's exactly presented, then fall on your face and ask God if it's truth. You notice, I don't ask you to ask me if it's truth. I ask you to ask God if it's truth. And if it's truth, then why have we been misled if we have been misled? And if we haven't, why we've decided not to follow the Lord wholly? So, I want to speak on a subject that we've heard about for hundreds of years. Some, they've just taken a few verses for face value, and that's it. Others may not even know the subject, or may know very little. But, I'd like to do an in-depth study, right here, on tithing. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we present this message, Lord, we ask in you right now, that those that listen will have an open mind and an open heart, that they would read the scriptures presented, and then, Lord, would you show them. Show them if we've read the truth for these many years, or if we have not. Lord, if we have not, Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, that you would forgive us and help us to do this the right way, your way. And Lord, if we have been doing it right, if the scriptures are right, that we are to give a certain amount, Lord, would you then, Lord, help those of us who have not been doing it to do so? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we ask you right now to bless this message, bless the hearer, as well as the doer alike, in the name of Jesus, amen. See, many times we've heard about this subject, tithing. And you hear it in church. The preachers get up and tell you you have to give a certain amount. Well, is that Bible? Is it 10%? Is that what God's words say? Is that what a tithe is? Why did, why did we even start tithing? What was the reason for the tithe? Who's supposed to get the tithe? And for what purpose? Well, let's examine that as we do an in-depth study on tithing here. First, I'd like us to look in our Bibles. Now, may, you have to understand, all the references we're going to use are from the KJV, the 1611, the King James Version. Because some of these newer Bibles have translated and reconfubulated a lot of verses. And we get things mixed up. And doing so, and a lot of verses are messed up, if not missing. The NIV has over 900 words missing. Would you trust a Bible that's taken away 900 of God's words? I hope not. So it's best if you have a King James. And, and don't worry if you say you don't understand it. And maybe because, well, you have it under a 6th grade education. Because the KJV is written in a 6th grade education. That's the way the KJV is written. The NIV, on the other hand, takes a 12th grade education. For example, they'll use the word habitation compared to house. Go to a little kid and ask him, where is your habitation? 
they're going to say, hmm. But if you say, do you live in a house? They'll say, yes, I live in a house. Why? Because even a little kid knows the difference. In the NIV, they use the word habitation. In the King James, house. So the King James is easier to understand in all seriousness, despite what the enemy has tried to place out there. So we're going to use the King James here, and we're also going to do a study. That's what this is about, a study, so you don't have to feel like you're lost. So I want to do an in-depth study here on tithing. First, I'd like us to go to Genesis. And let's take a good look at a person the first time that tithing was ever, ever mentioned. Let's look in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20. And what does it have to say? And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Now that would certainly sound like, that certainly sounds like, here, that this person, it's talking about Abraham and Melchizedek, a priest. But it's saying here that he gave him tithes of all when he had won a battle and he met this priest he gave him tithes well sure enough sounds like we're supposed to tithe now doesn't it Abraham did it why shouldn't we alrighty let's take another look at another verse from the scriptures let's look at the scripture here in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 10 now this is talking about the same thing in the New Testament talking about Melchizedek and Abraham and we're going to answer one of the questions that I'd like to know first is the tithe a tenth in this case it'd be like one penny out of every dime a dime out of every dollar is this what God is talking about by a tithe? Is that a tenth? Okay, let's find out. Because so far, we found a verse that very much indicates that we are supposed to give a tithe. Let's see what Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 10 have to say about the subject. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughtered of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days, nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Well, I think we're in deep trouble here. The Bible does talk about a tenth. This is New Testament. This is also talking about, it is talking about that it is commanded that they receive tithes of the brethren. So, 
That would very well indicate that we're supposed to give 10% of our income. Sounds like it to me, now doesn't it? I think it sounds that way to you too. But I'm not going to leave it at that yet. For right now, I just want to look at another verse. This is back in the Old Testament, a familiar passage that that we've heard for years about tithing and about having faith. This is about a widow woman and Elijah. And I want us to go in the Bible over here and look at this story. And this story is found in 1 Kings. Let's take a look over there. 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to break in at the 10th verse and go to the 16th verse. 1 Kings 17 verses 10 to 16. Let's see what it has to say here. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel, that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I might go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shalt not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Well, it appears right here that this story is talking about a woman who had to have some faith, didn't she? She had, she was down, you talk about down to your last penny, that's what this woman was. She only had a little bit of meal, a little bit of oil, just enough to... Barely make one more little thing. She went out, grabbed only the last few sticks she can find. Talked about a woman at the end of her rope. Here comes this preacher and says, feed me first. And she, at first, wasn't going to. But he said, do it anyway. And he gave her a prophecy. And she believed God. Oh, she believed God, didn't she? She believed God. And she was blessed for believing. So, when we give our tithes, we should believe God and have faith that he's going to return it to us because he's going to bless us. Now, let's look at another woman of faith in the Bible. We're going to look in the New Testament to a widow. Another widow who gets the very last that she had. Let's take a look at it. And we find this unique widow woman in Mark chapter 12, verse 44. Mark chapter 12, verse 44. And let's see what kind of woman of faith she was. Mark chapter 12, verse 44. Here's what it says. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Now, you see that? Wow. Don't you wish you had that faith? Two widow women, both down to their very last pennies, one to her last bit of oil and meal. She's going to cook a cake, and that was it. She's going to eat and die. But she believed God. This woman, she comes. She's in the temple. Give her the last two mites. All she had, all her living, she just gave it up. How about you? Can you do any less? Can you have any less faith? Well, let's look at another familiar passage. Let's 
look into a very familiar passage that's found in Galatians. Now, see, we're supposed to have faith, obviously. We're supposed to give a tenth. And here we find something very unique about that faith. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, what does it tell us now? Galatians 6 and verse 7. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. What does it say? Well, let's look at it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You see that? It's, it's like any of you that are out there that ever planted a seed. If you ever planted a seed, what you sow, you're going to reap. What you plant is what you will harvest. If you plant corn, you'll get corn. If you plant a little teeny seed, it comes out to be this great big corn stalk. My goodness, look what God can do. Surely sounds like we better get busy. Surely sounds like we better start tithing. Hey, I haven't given you enough yet. I've already shown you that we're supposed to tithe. Shown you that there's verses that prove we got to tithe. How much? A tenth. Even got verses here to prove that you should have enough faith to do it even when you're down to your last penny. But, how about one more? How are we supposed to tithe? Remember, whatever you give, God's going to give it back to you tenfold. Now, but how much? Well, let's look in First Corinthians. I should say how we're supposed to give it. In what spirit? First Corinthians, chapter sixteen, verse two. First Corinthians, chapter sixteen, verse two, and here's what it says: On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Upon the first day of the week, the day we go to church, <laughs> we better start having our money ready. Have it in your hand. Have it right there. Why? Because God said it right there upon the first day of the week. And you're supposed to give cheerfully. You're not supposed to give grudgingly. You're supposed to give cheerfully. That's what the Bible said. So let's look at another passage. See what it has to say. Alright? Now, as we look at this next passage, we're going to find it ties in with our Galatians scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 say this, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You get that? See? It goes back to Galatians. What you sow is what you're going to reap. You put this little seed in the ground, you're going to get this big stock of corn. Hey, we better start tithing. We better start giving that money. Look, we even got a New Testament to back this up. What you sow is what you shall reap. You're supposed to give happily, cheerfully, not sad. You're supposed to do it on the first day of the week. It's supposed to be a tenth of everything you possess. That is what you're supposed to give. Uh, let's see. Um, I know some folks are really liking this. But now let's see what the next passage has to say here. Let's take a look at it, okay? Now this next verse or set of verses I want us to look at, are really going to make some folks mad. But they are the most familiar to you if you've ever heard any preacher up front talk on this subject. This is going to be very familiar. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And here's what the Bible has to say. Well, a man robbed God, yet ye have robbed me. But she say, Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, 
if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall have a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, now, you see it? Not only are we supposed to give, if we don't, we're robbing God. My goodness, we're in some deep trouble, aren't we? Well, now we come to the most important part of our study. See, yes, we've brought out the scriptures that the tithers believe. Well, preacher, do you really believe it? Well, actually, I want you to listen to these scriptures again. But in context. Now, being in context would be like the verse that we find in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 18. 1 Peter 4.18 says that it says, If the righteous scarcely be saved, where, the, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Now, that sounds very much like the Pentecostals would have you believe that verse means about salvation. That if you're barely going to make it into heaven and you're saved, then my goodness, what's going to happen to those who are lost? Now, that's what that verse would seem to mean by itself. But if you read the verses before it and after it and around it with that verse, that verse all of a sudden takes on a new meaning. Because verse 12 of the very same chapter, remember that was verse 18. Verse 12 and 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fire trial which should try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in so much you are partakers of Christ's sufferings when his glory is revealed. You should be glad also with exceeding joy. And as you continue to read on, it talks about net let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. All of a sudden, now you understand that it's talking about suffering. So that verse, in its context, would read, if you wanted to look at it, if the righteous scarcely be saved, in your head you say, well, okay, the context is taught about suffering, so scarcely be saved from their suffering. That's what you're saying in your head. Although, the, let's not say we're adding to the word. That's not what we're trying to do here. I'm just saying, in context... You understand that it's talking about suffering. Where if the righteous scarcely be saved from their suffering, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? All of a sudden, that verse is not talking about salvation whatsoever, is it? So when I talk about verses in context, we add a few extra verses or more to it. You look at them in the whole chapter or at least within a whole story or whatever is being told, you get the whole message to find out what they're really talking about. Because when you look at a story, usually... Okay, let me give you an example. If Mama says, don't drive the car, now what does that sound like it's saying? Sounds like you're telling the kid, don't you dare pick up the keys and drive that car. Don't you even get in it. But if you met, let Mama finish the last two words, only two more words of a sentence clarifies it. Don't you drive that car too fast. Same sentence. The only two words added were too fast. So the context of her thing is don't drive the car, but the context is too fast. Meaning you're allowed to drive the car, but don't drive it too fast. You see what the, the meaning of contexting things is? If you don't get the whole message, you usually will miss the message. So, can we still get the same meaning from these scriptures? Is this really what God meant for us to do, is give a tenth of our income? Is it New Testament for us to give 10%? Have we been told the truth? Well, let's take a good in-depth study now. Let's forget just reading those few little verses that the tithers love to put together craftily to tell us that we're supposed to tithe. And let's examine the very, no, I didn't say, something different and try to come up with something else. No, let's look at the very verses they used. The very same verses, you're going to see we're using the same exact verses. But we're going to look at some other verses around it to see if we get the same message.
we get the same message, then we know for a fact that God is saying we are to tithe. If we don't get the same message, then we must conclude, without a shadow of a doubt, that that is not what God meant. So let's take a look back at our scriptures. Let's start back with Melchizedek. Remember him? The very first verses we read in Genesis? Let's take a look, though, at the story of Melchizedek, and let's get a little background on it, and let's see what it has to say, okay? All right, now let's look in Genesis chapter 14, as we did earlier, but let's look at 18 to 20. Verses 18 to 20 of Genesis chapter 14, and let's take a real look, a real close, in-depth look at what the scripture says. Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. Let's see what it has to say. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now, let's take a closer look at those verses. You see? All of a sudden, there's some stuff added here, some information. More information than we had before. And let's take a peek a little bit at each piece of this information. Don't move off of Genesis 14, because we're going to keep looking at these. Verses 18 to 20. And let's now look word for word, piece for piece. Let's break the story down and understand it. Okay, it starts out, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. King of Salem. Melchizedek is his name, so we know he's a king, and he's bringing bread and wine. And what else does he do? Or what else is he? Let's see. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he, who is this? Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the Most High Priest of the Most High God. He is the priest. Of the Lord. He is the most high priest. And listen to what it's saying here. And he blessed him. He said he blessed him. He's talking about Abraham. And said blessed be Abram of the most high God. Possessor of heaven and earth. He's saying okay Abraham. Blessed, a blessed be Abraham of the most high God. Abraham you're blessed is what he's saying. Now what is this blessing? What does he go on to say? And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. He is saying here, he is saying here, Abraham, blessed be the Most High God, and blessed be Abraham. Why? Because God has delivered into Abraham's hand his enemies. Abraham's enemies into Abraham's hand. And then what does he go on to continue to say? Now listen. And he gave him tithes of all. He gave him. Abraham gave Melchizedek. Abraham gave the Most High priest tithes, or a tenth, as we've already studied what a tithe is. Gave Melchizedek a tenth of all. Take note, though, Melchizedek and Abraham here of this particular situation. First off, Abraham had just returned from a battle because he was rescuing his brother Lot. And when he came back after battling the kings, you notice he, when he met Melchizedek, he did not send a servant back to his homeland to where Abraham is from, Haran, he did not send somebody back there and say, okay, I want a tenth of everything that's over there too. And have them bring all of that to Melchizedek along with the spoil. This is just a tenth of the spoils. So this is not a tithe of everything Abraham owned. It was only a tenth of what he had in that place from the battle. We're talking about 
an Old Testament priest named Melchizedek. And Abraham, being a patriarch, gave to Melchizedek, a priest, the Most High Priest, a tenth of all. That's what he gave him. Now, let's get a little more of the story than is given in Genesis. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, this is the complete chapter 7 of Hebrews. Not just the first 10 verses, but we're going to go from verses 1 through 28. 1 through 28. And let's see what the context has to say about this. And is God emphasizing here in Hebrews as we first studied, that we must give a tenth of tithe of all we possess like Abraham did. Are we required to, or is there more? Let's find out. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 28. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days, nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise? after the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity, a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake, nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were made priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heaven, who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people. For this he did once, when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, 
who is consecrated forevermore. Well, you know what? I'm about to have me a spell. <laughs> Woohoo! There's some good stuff in this. I think we need to go back through this because I think we see some freedom. In this chapter, we do not find bondage under an Old Testament law, but we find freedom in Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's take a look at it. Let's back to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to go 1 to 28 again. Let's take a look at some of this stuff. Get ready to have some freedom. Get ready to shout. We've been set free. Hallelujah. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now you notice. Melchizedek says here, that he, it says of him in Hebrews, that he met Abraham after, and, and, and he's a king of Salem. He's the priest of the Most High God. He meets Abraham after the slaughter, and he blesses Abraham. Woo, boy. And, and let's take a look at this. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem. Now you notice, because Melchizedek was a priest, that made him first the high priest, the most uh, honored of all. Secondly, it made him a king. King of righteousness, that's talking about um, there. It's talking about his priesthood. The second part being king of uh, a physical realm. And Abraham meets him, and he gives him tithes, or 10% of it. Abraham had just returned from a battle because he was rescuing his brother Lot. And when he came back after battling the kings, you notice he, when he met Melchizedek, he did not send a servant back to his homeland, to where Abraham is from, Haran. He did not send somebody back there and say, okay, I want a tenth of everything that's over there too. And had them bring all of that to Melchizedek along with the spoil. This is just a tenth of the spoils. Now, but what, don't hold your little mind right there. Get ready to shout for your freedom because it's coming. Which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. Now, you notice that? It's saying there that Melchizedek was a forerunner or a foreshadowing of Jesus, who, who Jesus himself had no beginning to his days, no ending of life, and Melchizedek was a foreshadowing or a symbol of Jesus. Ooh, I know what the tithers are saying. Well, see right there, there's proof. But hold on to your hat, Grandma. We're going to get some good stuff here coming yet. We're going to get you free. Bideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Now consider it. The writer of Hebrews is saying, take a consideration here. Do you notice? It did not say that Abraham sent a servant back and gave him a tithe of everything he owned, just a tenth of the spoils. Spoils. That means what they got out of the battle, out of the uh, um, battle when they went and got Lot back. It had nothing to do with every last thing, as the tithers will tell you, Preachers that preach tithing will always tell you that Abraham gave a tenth of all. Well, what was the all, preachers? Right here in Hebrews. It makes it plain. A tenth of the spoils. That's the all. So when we're talking about all here, we're talking about the spoils only. So let's keep that in mind. This way we keep it in context. But, there's something good coming. I want you to hold on to your hat, Grandma. 
And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Now you catch that? They are to receive, the, the sons of Levi are responsible or required to receive tithes of their brethren, of the children of Israel. Now get that. They're required to do it. Meaning it was a law, a statute, a law that you were supposed to take a tenth of what you earned to the priest. Now, of course, we're going to later get into understanding why. But for right now, let's uh, before we get to that, let's let's continue to get here. Let's get our freedom here. We were required, it says, to give a tenth, and it says that the Levites were required to do this under the Old Testament law. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham. He's not counted under the priesthood, we're going to find out is what he's talking about, not counted under the Levites, still received tithes. It's talking about Melchizedek here. He received tithes even though he was not of the descent of Abraham. He was not even a children of Israel, but he was a priest of the Most High God. He was a king of Salem, and he received tithes, tithes from Abraham. Now let's listen to something else here. And blessed him that had the promises. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, who had the promises. That's who he blessed. Without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. It usually in the church. You ever notice that? Even in our New Testament church, it's still truth. Those who have the least are the ones that are blessing the most. Why? Because they know what it is to need and not to have. Very good thought to think about. And here, men that die... Receive tithes, but there he receiveth them. It's now talking about how in the past, how in the past that someone who's dead received tithe even though he's dead. Of whom it is witness that he liveth. As I may so say, Levi also, who received tithe, paid tithe in Abraham. Even though Abraham was dead long after he was dead, Levi came into being, and he paid tithes in Abraham when Abraham paid his tithes to Melchizedek. See, so thus Abraham lives on through Levi because of the tithe. Okay? That's all it is. That there is showing that the tithe helps the person to live on. Like a memorial. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. He was still in the loins of... Levi was, he was still in the loins of Abraham, meaning he was in Abraham's seed, his descendants, when Melchizedek met Abraham. But, that's where the tithers want you to end. But get ready for your freedom, Grandma. Hold on to your hat. We're about to have something good come of this. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek? If perfection, as we know, does not come under the law, if it was to come under there, we'd be okay. What would there be the reason? If that law could make people perfect, why would Jesus... It's saying here in its simplest terms, Grandma, why did Jesus have to die if the Old Testament law was suitable? Oh, now, wait a minute, preacher. You're stepping on some toes here. You're right. I am stepping on your toes. It's a-okay for you to take the part of the Bible. It's a-okay for you to take Jesus and say, wait a minute. We're not under Old Testament law. It's a-okay for you to tell people that, that they, they're not supposed to go and do the law and give sacrifices. It's okay for you to tell people they need Jesus as their Savior. It's okay to tell them to come to your church. But you're going to still hold them under an Old Testament law called tithing. Well, come on, you ain't got no proof that that's a law, preacher. Well, let's take a listen. Let's take a listen. Okay, remember, we already discovered it was a law that the priests were supposed to receive tithes. Now, let's see what it has to say. And not be called after the order of Aaron. 
and not be called after the order of Aaron. This new priest, this new high priest, would come not after the order of Aaron, meaning that it would not be the same. He wouldn't have to do some things. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Before, it used to be of your works, how you used to do things. But now, when, see, it's good for you that when it comes to grace, now, isn't it? Oh, accept Jesus as your Savior, and if you flub the dub, all you got to do is ask forgiveness, and it's done and over with. Oh, that's great for you there, Mr. Tither, but you won't accept the fact that tithing is an Old Testament law, and when that law changed, the Old Testament law changed. When it changed for, from law to grace, it also changed from tithing, giving the priest a tithe to non-tithing or cheerful giving. Now, I'm going to get into that after a bit here, but let's continue to listen to this. <laughs> We're already starting to see there's some freedom. We're not supposed to be under that Old Testament law. Hello? <laughs> this is the context, boys. Same chapter. All of a sudden, now you're mad. Remember, I put the challenge on you. Do you have enough faith to continue? Let's see how much Jesus you got. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake, nothing concerning priesthood. In the old Levitical priesthood, the Levites were the priests. They were not given an inheritance. The Levites were not given anything in Jerusalem other than the job of being the priests, the preachers, the ones who carried the Bible. And here Jesus came up out of Judah, who Moses did not say one word about being in the priesthood. Not one word. But yet he rose up. And what more does it say? Oh, this is getting good. Hallelujah! And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. After the similitude, uh, we do baptism in a simulation. A simulation of death, burial, resurrection of, of us with Jesus Christ for our sins. When we take communion or the Lord's Supper, we do that in remembrance of Him. And the body and the blood are simulated by or represented by the bread and, and, and the grape juice. Now, you're telling me, you're telling me that the same word similitude here all of a sudden means something else? Oh, no. It means that Melchizedek raised up in Jesus as a new priest after the simulation of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the simulation. Jesus is the real deal. Hallelujah! Woo I'm getting the shot in here. Was made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Jesus wasn't made after the carnal commandment. What was that? To receive tithes. His priesthood was not to receive tithes, to get money, but after an endless command. Why is it that we cannot accept that in the New Testament church? But it's the truth. Jesus did not come after the law. He didn't come to... He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill, and he did. So if you, wait a minute, if you fill a cup, you can't put no more in it. So if the law was fulfilled in Jesus, and part of that law was tithing, then why are you trying to continue to pour tithing into a full cup? My God help us. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And what does it mean to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Well, there's verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. 
There's a disannulling of the commandment before. That's talking about tithing. The reason it was disannulled was because of the weakness of that law, which could not save. But Jesus can. The bringing in of a better hope did. That's Jesus. When Jesus came, we have a better way of getting to the throne. Amen. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He was given by oath while Melchizedek and the other priests were not. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. He is made surety of a better testament. Now what was the sign of the testament or sign of the covenant? The blood. The Old Testament had the blood of bulls and goats. The New Testament has Jesus' blood. So, we're getting something better in Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo, I'm going to have me a spell. And they truly were made priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. <laughs> Glory! He's able to save us from the uttermost to the guttermost that come to him. Why? Because we could come through his blood. We're going to have a spell here. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He lives ever to make intercession for us. That means he can uh, takes our prayers right before God the Father. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Jesus, he was made a high priest because he was sinless. He was made that because of the law. The law was his oath. When he took that oath and he performed that oath, he was made a priest higher than the heavens. And he only had to... Oh, I'm going to have me a spell. He only had to do it once for all. <laughs> Hallelujah. One time he only had to get crucified. Hello, Catholic Church. He didn't have to get crucified two, three, four times. Hello, Pentecostal Church. He didn't have to die five, six times. He didn't have to die every time you sinned, every time you had to get born again. Let me tell you what, he died once for all. Hallelujah. Go have me a spell right here. Let me tell you what. He did away with the law. Jesus did away with all of the law in his blood. And yet we tried to bind people by the very same law. The Pentecostals bind up Christians with the law of you got to live a perfect and holy life. Excuse me. Yes, you want to live a perfect and holy life because of Jesus saving your soul. But you don't do it to get saved, boys. And you don't lose your salvation. But let me tell you. You can lose your relationship with Jesus if you're not living right. But you cannot lose it because you sin. You just lose your relationship and your position with Him. You lose your fellowship with Him. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. <laughs> it cleanses from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you. You don't have to keep going back and re-sacrificing and re-sacrificing. Jesus don't have to keep going and dying and dying on a cross five, six, seven times. He did it once for all. And unlike those high priests that had to go in every year and sacrifice and make uh, coverage for their own sin, atone for their own sin, then the sin of the people, Jesus only had to do it once for all. Because he didn't sin, so all he had to do was go in and atone for your dirty, rotten sin. Hallelujah. And he did it once for all. And when he fulfilled that law, let me tell you what he did. He disannulled every single law of the Old Testament. He asked us 
There are certain things of the Old Testament that he said that we should do and still observe. We shouldn't kill. We shouldn't steal. We should, but you don't find nowhere where Jesus says, you must give 10% of your money to the church. He didn't say that. If anything, it said when that law was changed, when Jesus came on the scene, and there was a change of the priesthood, there had to be a change of the law. Necessity, boys. It became a necessity required that that law was changed. Whoo, glory, hallelujah. Well, all right, preacher, you tell me. You showed me out of Hebrews in the first verse there in Genesis that there's something different. But what about all those other verses you shared? All right, let's take care of some of those. The widow woman and Elijah. First Kings, chapter 17. We're going to read from 8 to 16. And let's take a look at what it has to say there. And let's see. Yes, she had faith. But is there more to the story? As uh, Paul Harvey would say, and now for the rest of the story, let's get it. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel, that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Ooh, there's some good stuff in that story. Yes, this woman had faith. This woman had faith. But there's more to it now. There's much more to the story. And, and, and I want to bring out a couple of those points. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now he's saying here first, he's talking to Elijah. This is God talking, God talking to Elijah. And he says, Now I want you to go to this particular city. Now listen, he tells him where to go, and he's also going to tell him what he's going to find. God said that he had already prepared for Elijah's welfare. He said, go to this city, I have, and dwell there. You're going to live there. This is where you're going to live. And, now get this, he said, I have commanded. It, was not a, it wasn't a future tense, I will command, is it? It says, I have commanded. A widow woman. God had already told this widow woman to take care of him. This woman already knew, already knew Elijah was coming. All of a sudden, the story has a little more meaning now, doesn't it? God already gave her a command. Elijah was now getting ready to come as per God's directive. So he arose and went to Zarephath. He, he gets up, he goes there. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. He sees the widow woman. He sees her gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now he asked her the first thing to do was to get, her, get him some water. Give me something to drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. You notice, she's saying, Look, 
She went to go get the water, but all of a sudden, midstream, you ever have someone to do that to you? <laughs> you? They ask you to go get something. You get about halfway out there to go get it, and all of a sudden they say, go get this, which you know is in a total different direction. <laughs> Ain't that pretty interesting? But here's what's happening. He tells her to get her something to drink. As she's ready to go, that's confirmation from the Lord for him that this is the, this is the very widow woman that God had already commanded. And he says to her, hey, would you go get me something to eat? Make me a, a little snack, a little morsel. You notice, just a morsel of bread. He wasn't asking for much, just a morsel. And she says, hey, I don't even have a cake. I don't have, I don't have a, a big thing of bread. All I got is very little. But a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Here's what she is saying. We're at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, literally. I got this last handful of meal, and all I got left is this little bit of oil. That's all she said I got. And look, that's all I got, guy. And I want to take these couple of puny little sticks. I'm going to go in, make a fire. Cook it up. And after that, me and my son, we're going to eat it. After that, we're just going to starve to death because there ain't nothing else to eat. We're done. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Here's where Elijah tests her faith, if you will. God is saying he tested her faith. Now remember, God had already talked to her. Okay? It was like Mary being spoken to before, and then all of a sudden, Joseph hears the story, okay? More or less. So what I'm saying is, this widow woman already knows the command. Elijah comes and says, look, I want you to make me something. She's like, I'm down to the last barrel. How in the world am I going to support another fully grown man? Right. So she goes and she says, and he tells her, don't fear, have no fear, look, I'm speaking on God's behalf, go ahead and do what you say you're going to do, but first, you make for me, then go ahead, and you notice, after you made for me, what well, made it, obviously there would have been nothing left if she had made it for him first, but then go and make for your son and you also, and he's telling her not to fear. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. He said to her, as thus says the Lord, now all of a sudden she knows God is speaking. She knows this is, in fact, Elijah. This is, in fact, the very prophet to whom she had already been given a command by God that she is supposed to take and provide for. And he tells her, look, the oil ain't going to fail you. It's always going to be there. The meal will always be there. All you've got to be willing to do is do it. I've already been given commandment, and he knows that she has. All she has to do is be obedient. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. See, because she obeyed God, because she obeyed God, it did not fail. But remember, she was commanded long before Elijah put the test on her. God had already told her this is what was going to happen. She already knew what was up. And all she had to do was listen. Well, the tithers will say, well, still, you haven't uh, tore that up yet. You haven't made that uh, it, it change. No. This is just the story, though. If you read it, there is not one word about tithing in here. But tithers love to use it to say, well, look at her faith. But there's not one word about tithing. Well, yes, this is a story of faith. Remember, Jesus did say, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall be able to say to a mountain, be removed and dropped into the sea, and it will do it. That's all this story is about. It's about faith. 
the faith of a widow woman in the Old Testament who took God at his word has nothing to do with tithing. Just because she gave to Elijah and she gave to God's man first had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with tithing. Because if it had to do with tithing, there would have been an Old Testament priest involved. So, I'm sorry to say, Mr. Tither, once again, this verse has nothing to do with tithing. It has to do with faith, but not tithing. How about another verse of faith? Let's take a look at it. New Testament. Let's look here in Mark chapter 12, verses 42 to 44, and we're going to find out about another faithful woman who is down to her last few pennies, and we're going to find out what she did. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast unto the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Thankfully, I don't have to go back and play that one. There's a... We don't have to listen back at that verse. It's pretty plain. There's a widow woman. They're, they're, they're in the temple. Jesus is sitting there. And a widow woman comes along. And lo and behold, they're giving all into the treasury. The big ritzy people, the rich people, they're over there coughing up big time money. Putting it in the treasury. Putting it in the treasury. Put the money in the bucket. Put the tithe in the bucket. Along comes this woman. All she had was two pennies. She put them in the bucket. And Jesus called his disciples over and said, Hey, hey, let's brag on her. Look, she gave so much. No. Hey, she gave. She gave every last dime she had. Uh, Mr. Tither, that is not what that says. Even though that's what you took out of it. Listen to the words again. It says, Because of her want... She gave all she had, even all her living. She gave because of her want, not because she was forced to, not because she was required to, not because of some Old Testament law. It's because she wanted to give those two pennies. Jesus wasn't emphasizing the gift. He was emphasizing her heart. Why is it that the tithers pull this up out of their hat and say, Well, see, she gave all she had and all her living. Well, well yeah, but why did she do it? She did it because she wanted to. Whew. Man alive. It's great to know when you're not under the law but under grace. Amen.